Good morning, Redeem family. I hope you're doing well. Thank you so much for joining us for Redeem Online this week. And today we are going to be unpacking this important truth of how we align our mission to the mission of Jesus. And I'm so excited about this. I'm also really excited. If you have not watched Eddie's message last week, I highly recommend that you watch it. It's about service and the importance of us serving as believers, but he puts it out there so simply, but so profound on the importance of service. So I encourage you to watch that if you have not yet. And so today I want to begin with this. And this is that Meg and I were reflecting the other day about how thankful we are for Redeemed Church. And when I say Redeemed Church, I don't mean just Redeemed Church as it is now, but Redeemed Church as the whole story. And so Meg and I joined this congregation seven years ago. And why did we join this congregation? Well, we were in this season of life where we were looking for a thing. And that thing was we were looking for a, a place that would reignite our hearts for mission. That was a big thing for us. We were going to a church and we loved it, but we needed a place that would reignite our hearts for mission, in particular for a mission for this community that we lived in. And so when we came up along to Redeem, we were so excited because we saw the spirit there, we saw the truth there, but we also saw the people. And the people were so important to us because what we saw were people that were on mission. And that's a big thing that we were looking for. We saw people who were genuinely and authentically following Jesus and doing the things that the word said. And that was so important to us. What makes our church unique is exactly that. We are people that are living on mission. We're not programs and we're not an organization, but we are people that in our everyday lives want to follow Jesus, want to be spirit-led, and want to do the works that we read in the Bible. You know, we have people in our community that are teachers and nurses and therapists and business leaders and military, and the list goes on and on of people that are on mission in their everyday lives. And one of the greatest things that we do in Life Group is we go around and say, what's a highlight of the week? And oftentimes, for many of the people in our Life Groups, it's talking about a way that they were able to minister to another person. And I don't know about you, but that's a community that I want to be a part of. So here's the best part. Meg and I were also reflecting I believe that we are not only going to continue this mission-minded movement, but we're going to see God do miraculous things through us in this next season of Redeem. As we dig deeper as a family, as we try to be even more spirit-led, and as we say the headship of our lives and our church is Jesus Christ, the Lord of our life, I believe that the, the, the fruit is going to be even more than we ever could have imagined. So if you're with us, I'm excited about that. But hang in because I want to ask this question to you. And the question is simply this. And I encourage you to hit pause. If you're watching it with somebody else, talk to them about this. This question is, where's your heart on the mission meter? The mission meter I define is, where's your heart on wanting to do the mission of the Lord? Is it a, a place where it's like at an all-time high where you're ready and, re and geared up to go? Or is it a place where you've sat on the sidelines maybe a little too long and you need the Lord to reignite your heart for the mission? Now, this sermon is not to beat you up. This is the hardest part. We are going to talk about being on mission. But 
I want to acknowledge that many of you are doing amazing things for the Lord. So this is not a beat you up sermon. This sermon is to reignite you. We've been 18 months of this COVID thing. And so many of us, I think, in this craziness, have found, their t- have found it that they've had a hard time understanding what their mission is or get hearing from the Lord and what the next mission is. And so we've been on the sidelines. Sometimes we've been forced to be on the sidelines. Sometimes it's by choice. But I want you to really do a heart inventory of where you're at on the mission meter. And so this week, we're doing week two of the, we're in the Rooted series and we're doing week two on this topic, making the most of our lives making the most of my life and making the most of your life. And so as we look at that, we're looking at how we're following Jesus as the Lord, and we're going to say, how is, what does Jesus call us to on this mission? So before we begin, I'm just going to say a quick prayer for this word. Heavenly Father, we uh, give this sermon over to you, Lord. Lord, will you just speak through me to, the, to this body, Redeemed Church? Will you reignite our hearts for mission? Will you give us clarity on what you call us to? Lord, we love you with all that we are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, if you have your Bible on you, I ask that you open to Luke 4. We're going to stay in there for a little bit. Now, the way that Luke sets up the Jesus story is intentional. Luke was a physician, and he writes the book looking for as many eyewitness accounts from the disciples as he can. He knew that there were many works out there um, that tell the story of Jesus, but he's looking for uh, eyewitness accounts. He's also going to put it in a way that's orderly is kind of his, his goal. So he's looking for an orderly account of the story of Jesus. And so he's writing to show that Jesus is not only the fulfillment of the covenant of the of God of Israel, but also the greater story of God's redemption for the entire world. And so as we look into Luke 4, we have to understand that backdrop. And to get to Luke 4 that we're going to talk about, we're going to start at Luke 3. Luke 3 starts with the story of John the Baptist. He's setting the way. He's setting the way for the Lord. And then we go to Jesus' baptism there in Luke 3 as well. And the Spirit falls down from heaven onto Jesus, and this starts Jesus' ministry. And so when we see that, we right after that, uh, the, the baptism of Jesus, Luke then goes into the gene- uh, genealogy of Jesus that shows us his lineage through David. And Luke doesn't stop there. He goes to all the way to Abraham, and then he does this significant shift where he goes all the way back to Adam. This shows us that Jesus is not just the messianic king but he, uh, that God is giving to Israel, but he's giving it to all people. He's giving it to all the people of Adam, all of mankind. You know, I haven't done one of those swabs in my mouth, but I do not believe I have any Jewish heritage in me. I think I am a Gentile 100%. And so for me, this is a big deal that the genealogy goes all the way back to to, to Adam. And what he's showing is that Jesus is setting us up for all mankind to be redeemed back to God. And so we transition into the wilderness story. Jesus is tempted. And that leads us right here to Jesus in Luke 4 declaring his mission. So let's start at Luke 4, 14. Read with me if you have your Bibles. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit 
and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. Now this, this really sets out what, what's happening. There's two things I want to point out as he begins this ministry. Number one, Luke makes it clear here, and he makes it multiple times throughout his gospel, that Jesus is operating by the power of the Spirit. This is an important thing for us to understand. The Spirit comes down and falls on Jesus when he's baptized. And all throughout the narrative of Jesus, he is now operating through the power of the Spirit. We've talked about this over and over again, so I'm not going to lean on this too much. But Jesus sets the example for all of us doing ministry. We are all now to be Spirit-led. And again, we define that as simply seeing what the Father's doing and doing that and simply hearing what the Holy Spirit has for us and chasing after that. That's what it means to be Spirit-led. And it's significant for us to understand that Jesus operated like this. And Luke's going to tell us over and over again that he's operating out of the power of the Spirit. So if Jesus is our Lord, if he is our example, then we as well operate out of that spirit in everything that we do in ministry. Number two, there's significance that Jesus is starting his ministry in Galilee. Now, this is not the center of power. This was not the modern day Washington, D.C. or London or Wall Street or Beverly Hills or Hollywood. Like this is not the place to be from. You've all heard that before, but there's significance that this was not Jerusalem. Galilee was this ethnically and culturally diverse place. It wasn't very prosperous. It was people just trying to make it by. And many Jews would have even thought that this was just only moderately Jewish area. And so there's some significance that's happening within that context. This was not the lifestyle of the rich and famous for the Jews. This was a place that was filled with marginalized people just trying to make it, not having any significance in their life, but this was a place of everyday people. It's significant that Jesus grew up in this region. You know, he grew up in Nazareth and he, he chooses to do his ministry here first amongst the marginalized. And he declares his mission in this place and there's such significance to this. You know, I like to think of Galilee, when I was thinking about it, I like to think of Galilee and Nazareth a little bit like Grit City. I don't know if you know that, but Tacoma is called Grit City. And Meg and I, we are South Sound proud people. I hope you are too if you live in this area. We are not Seattleites. We couldn't do it. No offense to people in Seattle. We are not Eastsiders. No offense to people in Seattle, but we love the South Sound. We don't mind the Tacoma aroma. We love the people down here. And we, this is a place that God has placed us. And when you think of Galilee, I want you to think about like a place like Lakewood, right? This is just, a, 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 this is just an area that is just uh, filled with no place of real significance, but just a place where people are trying to make ends meet. And Jesus is saying that this is not Seattle. This is not Olympia. I'm going to declare my mission here in a place like Galilee, here in Nazareth. And so as we set that backdrop, we're going to jump into Luke 4, 16 through 20. It says, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. 
unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. You know, I love how Jesus works. And one of the significant things about Jesus is that he is going to go up against the religious spirits of the day, but he also is actively practicing his faith. He's going to the festivals, he's going to the synagogue, and then he judo moves them. That's the thing that I love about Jesus. We see right here that although he's pushing back on the religious institutions and the religious spirits of the day, he regularly attended and followed all the festivals and all the services because he understood that this can, this was important to connecting us to God. So this would have been a normal service we see. There would have been hymns and prayers. There would have been a reading from the Torah and then a reading from the prophets, which in this case, he gets handed the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he says. Verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is in the synagogue He's announcing his mission and sharing what the kingdom of God is going to look like. And he does this by reading from Isaiah. He's explaining to the people there and for us here that, the, this, that he is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah. And the reference comes directly from Isaiah 61, 1 through 2. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Isaiah is a book all about judgment. He's telling Israel's corrupt leaders that their rebellion and their oppression will come at a cost. He's calling them to care for the poor and for the widow and for the orphan, for the fatherless. He's calling them to this level of living. But Isaiah is also a book about hope. God is going to fulfill on his covenant promises and that, will, that he will send that promise through the line of David. And then God will bless not only just Israel, but the whole world. And this is what Jesus chooses to read. So this is now our mission as well. This is Jesus's mission and this is our mission. In the last chapters of Isaiah, like in uh, Isaiah 61, it's talking about the servant that is to come. The spirit of God empowered servant, which would have been significant in those days to understand, who's gonna bring good news to the poor the oppressed, the brokenhearted, and the prisoner. Someone who's gonna bring both forgiveness and restoration to all people. This is a significant promise. And it's not just this promise to future tense, but it's to the here and now. And this promise is for, for us to have full fellowship with God and the removal also of physical obstacles in this life. And again, Jesus is declaring, this is me. This is the one that they talked about. And the way Jesus tells us is that he is telling us that God is concerned for the whole being, for the whole person, 
for all of us, but for not just where we're going to go in heaven, but our whole being. And I want to point out, because it's so good here, that there's some language that's important here. So let's just look at this one word, the word poor here in this part. The word is thohos, this in the Greek, thohos. And it can be used in a variety of ways. It can be simply someone that's reduced to begging or asking for money. Someone who is destitute of wealth or position or power. It's for someone who's lacking anything. And it can also be in respect for people who are lacking in spirit. As a matter of fact, it's used 39 times in the New Testament. A couple of places, Matthew 5 uh, verse 3. It is used for blessed are the poor in spirit. And in Matthew eleven five, it's used, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the, deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And in Matthew 19, 21, Jesus answers the rich man. It says, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. This is Jesus's mission. And it's critical that we understand it because if Jesus is the Lord of our life, then we continue this. So when we look at that word, and we ask, how can we, be the, how can we make the most of our lives here on earth? This is it. We can be there for people who are lacking. That's the big mission. We're there for people who are lacking. Whether that's things, position, honor, or just lacking in spirit. We engage with people who are lacking anything. We join in that mission. The oppressed, the depressed, the poor, those that are rich, that are just poor in spirit, this becomes our mission. We set captives free. We proclaim freedom for those in prison from their own choices or from choices that were made for them. We declare the year of the Lord's favor over this entire community. That's what we do. That's what our mission becomes. But here's the best part of the story. If you really read into it, we get a fast forward and it's the same author that tells us the next story. Luke is going to tell us in Acts, in Acts 2, that the Spirit fills the room and it fills the apostles and now we receive the same Spirit that was upon Jesus when he declares this. So we both share in the, the mission, but we now share also in being empowered in the Spirit. And this is what we can say now. As followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we now get to say this. The Spirit of the Lord is in me. Why? To proclaim good news to those who are lacking anything. We are here to proclaim freedom for the captives and recovery of sight for the blind to help them see. We get to set the oppressed free and we do this all to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And that's what our mission now comes. We both share in the mission, but we also share in the spirit. And so Jesus is going to empower us to continue this mission out. So now the question, for me at least, and I hope for you, becomes, well, how do we do that in 2021? And I want to make the case that it really hasn't changed much we must really begin to see it in our community. 
as we engage in our community, I'm challenging us to grow even a greater awareness for those in need right around us. We must grow in awareness and in compassion and in empathy. And so I want to start with the story in Luke 10, 25 through 37 to kind of unpack this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the, Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You know, when we look in this text, the priest and the Levite, it says that, he, that they saw him. So they did not see him, but they didn't really see him. They didn't take the time to see him and notice his need and do something about it. The Samaritan of all people is the one who really saw him. You know, this was significant in my faith journey. I, I had grown up in the church and I had left the church uh, when I was in college. And, uh, and I was actually on a subway in New York City. And uh, there was a guy who was having a mental breakdown. And he had his, his clothes were all torn and he was, he was saying stuff that didn't even make sense. And right there, I felt deep compassion and the Spirit of the Lord came on me. And the Spirit of the Lord said to me, Kurt, you can do nothing for that man apart from me. The Lord was helping me see that to really see this, to see this the way that Jesus wants us to see it, we have to have the Spirit of God in us. And when we do, we will begin to see our community in a whole new way. We'll begin to take notice and we will not be able to go to the other side of the street like the priest and the Levite, but rather we will be called to engage it. And so that's my first, my first thing. As we get into this new building, my heart is that we would really see the needs of the city and that we would be people that would be willing to respond. You know, just since the, the building, it, the Lord has been popping up ideas after ideas for people on ways to engage the city, and I love it. One person, it was celebrate recover, recovery. The other person, it was like, we should have a clothing bank. The other people, person, we should have a food bank. All came from different people. The Lord is on the move in that area, but it's all of us not just getting the vision, but doing the work, seeing the community for what it is and doing something about it. But we also must do this. After we really see it, we must relate to it. 
You know, as you read in this Rooted book, I, I love this section of Rooted. You, uh, highly recommend you reading it um, and spending some time with it. But poverty or people lacking is really a relationship game. Those that are lacking are as a result of broken relationships. Whether that's people's relationship with God, people's relationship with their community, people's relationship with their family, people's relationship with the church. Anyone that's lacking, there is broken relationship within that system. Anything broken, all this is, is kind of broken relationships lead to lacking. And just as we are called to, to really go into the world of brokenness and lacking, we must understand this, that we ha- for us to do what Jesus tells us to do, we must relate with one another. Let's look at Luke 14, 12 through 14. Then Jesus said to the man who had invited him, when you host a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or brothers or relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may invite you in in return and you will be repaid. But when you host a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Since they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Look, this verse is not saying that you can never invite your friends over for dinner. But this is saying that you need to make room big enough at your table to relate to those who are lacking those who are in need. And so if we only are inviting our friends and our, and our neighbors over that aren't lacking, then we have missed the point of the big table. Again, this doesn't mean that you can't invite your friends over, but it's really saying, this is what I desire for you, is that there will be a blessing when you make a bigger table and invite people who are lacking into your lives. You know, when Redeem, at one point, we did a, a ministry to the Woodbrook uh, neighborhood. It was awesome. And, uh, and the coolest thing about it is the relationships that many people have made. And even though we're not doing ministry there right now, there are several people that still have relationship with one another. They go to the grocery store together. They help each other with their house. And it's really in that relationship that Jesus is re- asking us to do. For us to enter into real ministry It's not just seeing it, but it's also relating to it. We must spend time there. You know, when we look at relationship, uh, 1 John 3, 17 through 18 tells us this. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. He's asking us to relate to them. How can the love of God be in us? That's what he's saying. How can we relate to him? How can we say that we're spirit-led if we don't have pity on those that we relate to? Again, remember that this was the mission that Jesus declared, and it's now our mission. And it's the same spirit. And Jesus is telling us to have the love of God, to have the spirit, or John's telling us to have the love of God, to have the spirit in us. We must love with not just words and speech, but in actions and in truth. This is what marks us, that the Spirit of God, the love of God, allows us to relate to our brothers and sisters in need. Relationship is so key here. And if we want to enter into this world where we begin to change things, if we want what I call true progress in this world, it's really people coming to the realization of their need of the Creator and shalom within their community 
peace within their community. And I'm telling you, there are no rules or laws or regulations or legislation that can change it. It's only in relationship that this world begins to change for the good. And we're missing that. Everyone's missing that. Relationship is so key. If we want to change things, relationship and relating to it is the only way to really change it. And so if we really are going to see things and then we're going to relate to it, we also must remember this, that we must now boldly engage it. You know, sometimes just us being a good person or us as Christians trying to be just a good person, we can see it and we can relate to it, but we can ne- sometimes we never really work to change it. And sometimes we can actually be enablers within this, right? But Jesus is telling us that we are to proclaim things over, to set people free. And so this doesn't mean that we come and yell at people. This doesn't mean that we don't come in love. But if we are to build relationships, we must also boldly engage with them in spirit and truth and begin to change things. You know, when we look back at Luke 4, look at the words that are used. When we are empowered by the Spirit, we are called to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recover the sight to the blind, set free the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor over people. These are all active verbs. And to be honest with you, they're all verbs that are probably kind of going to require us to be pretty courageous. These are not just let things be. These are you have come to be change agents into this situation. So we see it and we relate to it, but we also boldly engage through the Spirit to change things because that is our mission. Our mission is to change things, to be spirit-led and to join in the mission of Jesus Christ to change things. And so we started with this question, how do we make the most of our lives? It's the simplest answer and the hardest answer at the same time. To understand this mission, we enter into the same spirit and we push forward what the Lord has said is our mission. We must understand that we have to set ourselves up and set our lives in a way that we're able to see what is happening around us, relate to it, and then boldly engage it for the love of Jesus Christ to enter into this community. And I hope you understand and you're seeing the sign of the times that now more than ever, we have to engage with people to tell them the good news, to proclaim the good news, and to enter into not just a smaller, tighter circle, but a bigger circle where we begin to engage people with the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. That has always been our mission, and that is our mission. And so when we said, where are you at on that mission meter? I hope that you feel inspired. It's time for us to get out off the sidelines and start to engage and boldly engage with this mission. The spirit, I hope, is just calling us all out. And I said this from stage last Saturday, but in a world where anxiety is overrunning so many things, the, the, the temptation is for us to choose safety. But I'm telling you, we are calling each other to a life of adventure. And Jesus Christ, when he declares his mission, he's declaring that over us too. We are entering into that mission and we are going to choose adventure because this is an adventurous call. 
This is one that's going to take courage. This is one that's going to require us to connect with our Father through the Spirit like we never have before. And so I hope that you're with us. As we head in this and we get rooted in our faith, this is critical, that we engage with those who are lacking anything. And so I want to pray that over us today. So Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that are listening here today. Lord, will you reignite them with mission? Will you help them see how their mission realigns with the Lord Jesus Christ's mission and what he came here to do? Lord, that we continue that mission. And we are so thankful that you have given us the Holy Spirit, that you have anointed us with the Holy Spirit to go and do ministry likewise, to go and do likewise like Jesus tells us, uh, it tells the, the man uh, about the Good Samaritan, that we go and do likewise. Simply help us to see that. Help us see our community in a whole new way. Help us relate to our community in a whole new way. And help us not to back down, but to boldly engage the gospel here in this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.